On this week's edition of the Twin Geekcast, we have Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We'll also be delving into Sam Raimi's original trilogy. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. Movies and friendship, those are mysteries. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Yeah, do you, do we want to start on uh, play Misty for me again? <laughs> That's just going to be our entire intros from now on. We're only doing play Misty for me. <laughs> well, I think it's the most consequential thing we've seen in the last few weeks. Um, mm-hmm. All right, welcome back to another Twin Geek Cast this week, second week of January. Uh, how you doing, Calvin? And we got Spider Man today. I'm psyched to be here. Yes, that's going to be exciting. I finally made it out to the theater. For the first time in forever, I unchained myself from the house, so we can talk about something new. <laughs> Once in a blue moon, and you did it for the best Spider-Man movie, so I feel like it's worthwhile. We'll get there to talk about that, I'm sure. You know what's funny is actually, the last time we podcasted about a new film was also the last time I was out at the theater, so <laughs> this is entirely dependent on when I get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we need to see the same movies to line this up, but uh, let's jump into box office. I think we got a good show. Yeah, we'll start there. So, uh, at number 10, somehow hanging on to that last slot there is Holmes and Watson, still. It's a fairly new release, and this is its last time in the theater. You see it has 55% decline. It doesn't have a good holdover from last week. Mm-hmm. People found out that there's a real uh, Adam McKay movie out, and they went to that instead. Yeah. Uh, you watched a Holmes movie this week? I did, actually. So, uh... I don't know why I was shopping around at the local rental store and I picked up uh, an older 80s film without a clue. It's got Michael Caine and um, Ben Kingsley as Holmes and Watson. But it's an interesting kind of comedy reversal take where uh, Holmes is actually a drunken idiot and it's actually Watson who's been the accomplished sleuth this whole time. But kind of how he originally wrote the story, you know, he had to write it around this different character than him. So he had to hire an actor to kind of play this part while he kind of investigates things instead. And this is it's really kind of fun dynamic there. Probably way better than whatever uh, Farrell and Riley are doing. But it's just, yeah. it's unfortunate because it's <laughs> it's just that. Like, that's the only kind of joke the whole film. It's just a series of Michael Caine being an idiot and Ben Kingsley trying to make it look like he's not. <laughs> and the problem with this one is there isn't a unifying joke or storyline. There isn't anything about it that's connective tissue, so... Is that, is that what you got from the five minutes of it you saw before you walked out? <laughs> I did stay for about 35, 45 minutes, and I didn't get anything, any kind of layering or any kind of depth, so it wasn't going anywhere, and I've I've read up on what happens, and nothing happens. So. Uh, there's some jokes about, like, uh, oh, old telegraphs being, like, sending dick pics. And what? It's just baseless stuff. Um I don't think we need a Guy Ritchie satire of the way that he made the Sherlock Holmes films. That was almost a satire in its own right, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was already its own unique take. We don't need a commentary on it. Yeah, and it, it certainly don't need it from this kind of ridiculous comedy stylings. You know, I feel like I'm wasting my life just talking about it. Yeah, let's move forward. All right. Oh, speaking of wasting our life, Ralph Breaks the Internet, number nine still. Another John C. Riley uh, waste uh, still in the box office. Uh, it's funny how they've been grouped together the last couple of times. I don't, I don't feel like it has any real uh, qualifications for you to go see it. I don't think there's any reason to make your way out. Uh, finally, we have the Grinch out, and so this is just our last holdover of uh, holiday animations. 
Mm -hmm. I guess that is a good point to bring up, though, is that how often was Riley in the box office this year? I think about both, like, him and Jack Black had really, like, a lot of stuff this e last year. Yeah, they both kind of had... Well, we're kind of going through, like, a transformation where the comedy actors of the last decade are kind of finding more serious roles also, where uh, they're finding horror films or that we're finding that comedy also has a good... Um, allows for a good sensibility about other things, other high drama and horror... So they're getting other opportunities again, which is fun to see. Yeah, that's always great to see. I think um, Riley in particular always kind of started out in some more dramatic roles and then transitioned into that more comedy things. I'll always love him in Boogie Nights. It's one of my favorites from him. But, and, you know, it looks like he's kind of getting back more around to that. He did what, like, Stan and Ollie and um, Sister Brothers this last year, too. Those are more serious takes. Yeah, I can't wait to see Stan and Ollie. But uh, skip out on... Um... Ralph breaks the internet. I kind of tested it for my daughter. I didn't think it was worth showing her. It's too cynical. Mm -hmm. So, number eight, we have a uh, second act, uh, which we didn't talk about really last week. And we're probably not going to talk about this week. It's Jennifer Lopez movie. I don't know. Yeah. Actually, I did, I did see it when I went to the theater this year. I saw it on the marquee as I was passing it to go in to see Spider-Man. And you make it sound like you went and saw the film, but it's nice. <laughs> no. I, I actually just saw no, it just on saw the marquee. <laughs> yep, <Yeah>, that's it. <laughs> Fair enough. That's all I have to say about it. Okay. <laughs> at, at number seven, we have Vice, which, which I did is the see. other Adam McKay film. Yeah, Yeah, and I did see in person, and it is great. Um, I mean, it's it's almost great. It has a very frenetic style where it almost feels like a trailer for itself sometimes. Like, it has a attention deficit disorder to it that kind of only implies that change it for the power, which I severely doubt is the truth. Mm -hmm. Well, it's hard to know with these kind of... Uh, twisted stylized bio biopics it's really hard to tell just in general these kind of things like you can even look back at something like uh wolf of wall street which is supposed to be you know its own biopic and the same kind of you know power hungry ish kind of characters but how much of that is really the the real jordan belfort how much of it is hollywood eyes you know mm -hmm. i know scorsese the use of this pretty good but it's it's all you can never know for sure everything's always twisted with these kind of films just yeah. a little bit yeah there is a partisanship to this one that's you know, it's like the liberal equivalent of a Fox News, which is fine, you know, if you're that audience. It's self-aware about that by the by the ending credits. It even has a bit on it about it being that. Mm -hmm. It's fine if it's one of those things where, as an audience, you're aware of its uh, biased nature, mm -hmm. you know. Otherwise, you're potentially subject to making it a form of uh, propaganda that you're feeding yourself, you know, which is a lot of what stuff like uh, Fox News and other outlets end up becoming if you're not informed. And I think Adam McKay is very great, but I think that he has, I think his films kind of have a feeling like they're talking down to an audience. Like, why are you including all these 2000s references and uh, acting like we are too busy to notice, like, the, the true evil of conservatives or something? We all noticed and we're well aware. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what's interesting as well is that I think the goal with this film anyway in this era, during the, you know, the, the Trump era, so to speak, here is that uh, McKay is, in fact, trying to bring to light that this is not a sole issue with this one person that we're dealing with in this administration. <laughs> yeah. This has been a long, you know, sown, you know, issue here. And, and I think this... You can trace it all the way back. I think this year, especially, we're looking for deeper meaning in our films. We're trying to come out of the theater with some kind of social consciousness for an issue. But I feel like the, I feel like the thing you get out of this is if Trump were unseated, there'd be a worse guy replacing him. And maybe we... Uh, aren't living in the worst timeline. Well, that's the thing, I guess, to think of with the, the Cheney era here that you have to consider. 
um, I don't want to get too political with it, but the idea versus, you know, Trump versus a guy who is uh, effectively, you know, could be potentially worse because he's getting things done behind the scenes. You know, we're not seeing the evil, which can make it inherently worse. Right. You know? <laughs> Otherwise, the government's just shut down. But we don't want to get too political. Yeah, let's not uh, talk about it too much. <laughs> we'll resume political discussion when government comes back. Deal. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Number five, six. Uh, six we are at is the mule i can't believe it stayed in this long i mean i liked it i just didn't think it had these kind of legs yeah well i i don't people love clint eastwood you got that that whole section of the the country who's going to go out and see everything from him no matter what it is they want to see this man tell his next story especially when it's something uh more politically driven. No, how do we get back to this? <laughs> you say this section of the country, but that person's also me. Like I'm gonna go out and see every Clint Eastwood film, even if it's disappointing. Well, you're not politically motivated to do so. I mean, you love no. Clint Eastwood because he's an awesome, you know, cigar smoking cowboy, right? Exactly. And a good filmmaker. I, mean, I, I love yeah, Clint Eastwood was, too. Don't get, don't get me wrong. Like, <laughs> Except for playing Misty, he's for me. definitely one of my idols growing up. Right? Like, how couldn't he be if you were growing up throughout the '90s and you had like this huge backlog of great cowboy films to watch? Yeah, and I think it is it is kind of sad seeing him aging into this well aged director that's just making kind of you know more mundane stuff, but it, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Well, he does uh, fairly good stuff. Like nothing he's made recently has been. At least that I've seen that has been bad. I heard bad things about 1570 to Paris, of course, but mm, I've I've yeah. at least partially enjoyed the other recent stuff like Sully, and I have a soft spot for like Jersey Boys from like 2014, but I don't think that, that doesn't feel like a Clint Eastwood film either. So, right, and um, there there is a thing with the Mule where it's it is politically driven also. And I feel like it may make some people uncomfortable, but not to the extent that I think people are expecting. I think it is good for most audiences, despite a couple lines in there. Mm -hmm. It's not as, uh, you know, rhetoric-filled uh, as some of Eastwood's other stuff is, you know, and that's good. Yeah. So. It was all right. I recommend yeah. it. So number five is Spider-Man, which we're going to skip over because, you know, that's what today is all about. Yeah, except to say that it is doing very well in the box office, and it's, you know, it is showing that doing unique animation could benefit in the box office. Yeah, and just animation in general seems to do a lot. It doesn't, like, stuck around that top spot as much as, like, um, Ralph Breaks the Internet or The Grinch did, but that was a lot about Jeez. timing as well, and the kind of films they were. Yeah. You know, these family-centric, put them out around December, and, you know, of course they're going to stay around for a long time, and Disney's also holds much more you know, prestige as an animation than uh, Sony does. But yeah, Sony's climbing sure. their way up there. You know, this really, you know, Spider-Man really proves that they have the capabilities. So yeah, we'll, absolutely. we'll hopefully see more from them like this that kind of push the, the direction of animation in the coming years. More on that in a few minutes, but yes. at number four, what do we have here? We have Bumblebee. Bumblebee was fun. I think that uh, Haley Steinfeld's good. There's a review up on the site. I liked it okay. Yeah, and that's a in, in, an interesting one, at least for the Transformers franchise, that they're finally kind of turning around and doing something uh, better, at least. Yeah, Even yeah it, has a, perfect. it has a bit more of a heart and a 80s vibe to it, which works in its benefit most of the time. Mm -hmm. Actually, I didn't realize as well, I was looking up again, because you said it's, it's Haley Steinfeld and um, uh, uh, Bumblebee, right? So, uh... Calvin, you mentioned in Bumblebee that Haley Steinfeld uh, stars in it, right? 
Yeah, yeah, she's pretty great in it. I mean, she's a lot of fun anyway. If you want to see her fall in love with the robot and have a romantic fling, that's your film. <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting because, you know, we were talking earlier about, like, Riley and the box office law and whatnot. Well, I didn't realize until after I walked out of the theater yesterday that she's also in Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so she's got both of those spots here as well. So that's interesting. And she, you know, it's another case of you're seeing her make more and more successful films in these last couple of years. Yeah, and her celebrities risen. Like I said last week, I, I looked it up after the film to see if she's doing okay. And she had about 500 million views on the YouTube, so that's who yeah. she is. <laughs> and she's interesting to see her come from, uh, I mean, she started off strong with what, you know, True Grit was her first film with the Coen brothers. And that's pretty mm. amazing. You can't start better than that as a teenage girl, can you? No, I don't think so. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a look at what else we got on the box office here. At number three, we have uh, Mary Poppins Returns. Again, at Disney IP, staying way high in the box office. Um, I hear it's okay that, uh, that Emily Blunt has her own kind of Mary Poppins, and she has her own personality. I'm excited to see it on video. Yeah, you're waiting for it to come out in video as opposed to checking it out in the theater. Yeah, I don't think I'll make it. I, I want to see it with my family. I've only seen the original a few weeks ago, so it's not a giant rush for me. Okay. And did you really only see it a few weeks ago? Yeah, it was my first time. I just found wow. it at a Goodwill. I was like, why not try it? Oh, okay. Wow, that's that's crazy to me as someone who was, you know, it was one of the few films in my rotation as a child, seeing Mary Poppins a lot, you know. So it's interesting that not everyone grew up with that. It just seemed like something that everyone did. Yeah, I need to talk to my family, find out why I didn't watch it as a kid. <laughs> Did you also not see The Sound of Music? Like, Julie Andrews was, like, a huge, like, formative part of my childhood. Was that also part... I, I also discovered Sound of Music last year, but I'm what? catching up on these things. How do you not know about Julie Andrews, man? I know about Julie Andrews by periphery, well, like but you... I didn't see her yeah. films until this year. Right, time. I mean, that's, I don't know, that's kind of a, a huge thing. Actually, you're going to tell me to see The Wizard of Oz. You, you did see the wiz. You, you did see the Wizard of Oz when you were growing up, didn't you? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, okay. All yeah, right. I've seen it. <laughs> I'm not crazy then. That's good. All right. Yeah. So at number two, we have the first um, new film in the box office this week, which is Escape Room. Uh, yeah, it's our only new thing this week. I'm probably going to go see it eventually. It sounds like a fun way. Uh, you've been to Escape Room before? Yes, actually, I have. Um, when you move out to the city, you know they actually have those. So I got to try one out. I think it was last year that I did it. It was pirate-themed. Oh, what? Yeah. What was that, that was like? Fun. It was a lot of fun. I felt like an idiot, though. We had, like, a group of, like, six or so people, and I, I kind of walked in, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. Like, I could really figure out some of these things. Everyone else was figuring out all the puzzles, and I'm sitting here, like, fumbling with this this lock or whatever. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. What does this code mean? Uh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I did a zombie one in... Utah a couple of years ago, which was a fun time. Um, I, there was a lot more math involved and stuff that I didn't feel like doing, so I kind of sat a few of them out, and then when the zombies ended up running after you, I had a lot more fun with it. Oh, that sounds like fun. I know, I know one of the, the odd things that happened at ours, sometimes they don't always go well. Like, um, yeah. they had a like the guy who was operating it, you know, was having he had to come in and be like, is something wrong with that lock? Why is it not working? You know, but it was really just we're an idiot who can't, you know, properly address the code to it <laughs> yeah you don't want them to come in and have to break the immersion i'm glad that I mean, it did in, it did a little bit yeah at least like in our game it felt like you know it was cool because we were dark and we were locked in a pitch black room and then suddenly there's banging on every side of the door and the 
zombies kind of follow you around through each room and there's like a sense of progression and different kind of puzzles which is a fun mm -hmm. way to do it i'm excited to try another one yeah eventually i'll try another one they're kind of expensive though is the only thing yeah. so th that was nice about having a large group is that we all kind of forked up some the money for it to make it affordable if they weren't it... if they weren't like 40 50 bucks i'm sure i'd do them like as a hobby like i'd try to go in all the time and try these things yeah it's it's just an interesting case here you know seeing that is another case of a Hollywood kind of cashing on, cashing in on recent trends, but it feels like they're a little late, even though the box office, I guess, reflects differently. You know, like, escape rooms to me aren't the, the huge thing they were, you know, last year or the year before. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that Hollywood's like always to. late, because they begin the production once the <laughs> once the trend begins, and then you get the Emoji movie three years after Emojis are out. Yeah. You know, all sorts of weird things that just feel way too late. Yeah. So I'm sure the Emoji movie would have been bad even three years ago. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at Ralph Breaks the Internet. It's still bad now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's uh, take a look. Hopefully we'll have more to talk about Escape Room once you eventually go out and see it. But... Yeah, or we'll just talk about Escape Rooms every week for the next month. Maybe we'll do that. Let's go to an Escape Room this okay. next week, and then we'll talk about our experience. Staff out. Be... Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on here. Uh, number one is still Aquaman. Which you did um, see still. Yeah. I think I think a lot of people are finding more fun in it than I did. I mean, I'm trying to remember that I did have an okay time with it. That It is a little bit overlong, but it has some real fun sequences the way that uh, Thor Ragnarok does, but without the same directing pedigree there. Yeah. Well, the biggest thing I've heard about Aquaman that's to its benefit is that even if it's not inherently good... The biggest difference is that it's not boring, you know, unlike a lot of the other films mm. from the DC films. Like, it's not too serious. It knows how to have fun and be just entertaining to watch. Even if it's bad in parts, it's it's the good kind of bad that you can enjoy. Um, and, you know, I was reminded again when I was sitting down to watch, you know, Spider-Man. I saw the trailer for Shazam come up, and I'm like, you know what? It does look like DC is actually figuring this out. They're like, okay, we can't be too serious anymore. It's not working. Let's have some fun. The Shazam trailer actually looks like it would be a fun time. Like, it looks funny. I think they moved on from the Snyder experiment <clears throat> in some sense. And this one has a lot of color. And um, it has this thing in the beginning that really caught me off guard, where it sets up to be a kind of gothic horror. And I was hoping with James Wan's pedigree with, like, Saw and Insidious that it might lean into that. But it's kind of forgotten after the initial lighthouse sequences. Mm-hmm. It's just a shame, you know, because I think that's the biggest thing these superhero films are kind of missing is an, is an authorial voice. You know, they're a specific director's style coming through more and having their unique takes on the film. You know, that's the really the biggest issue with all the Marvel films. I get that that's kind of the whole experiment is that they're trying to make a cohesive, you know, universe. But you do miss out on that unique quality by doing that. Yeah, and I wonder if that's entirely what you want either, or if you want like a director to come in and say, I'm going to make the most authentic version of that that I can, like a Nolan version, or uh, if you just want them to say, I'm a director and this is what I've done and I'm going to make it like that, that, that doesn't always seem to go exactly the right way. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully we'll see DC kind of do more of this and give people more of a chance and a voice to do this the fact that Aquaman's kind of a one-off story and not building to something else you know I'm sure it was another strength in its uh you know although, <laughs> although seeing it in the box office this long you'd be amazed if there's no sequel in a few years 
Oh, I'm sure there will be, but the fact that it's not, you know, the film wasn't about there being a sequel, I, I oh, think yeah, it was a yeah. strength beyond. In right, some way, uh, this, in some way, that film feels like it has four sequels in it that that they combined everything they had into one. So. That's a problem, you know. We talked a little bit about that last week. With it, is that they just they want to take the best of every story and push it all into one film because they want to appease everybody. Yeah. They really should just kind of slim things down, simplify it, and put out a good film as a whole, as opposed to a bunch of good pieces of a film. And I think Films. there, I think there is a good way that it could work. And I think our film of the week this week is a good example of how you could take so many component pieces and make it, you know, about the sum of its parts. Yeah, I think we'll definitely uh, get into that a bit more here. Let's talk about the film that we talked about a little bit earlier on the list here, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Hey guys. Who are you? I'm Gwen Stacy. I'm from another, another dimension. How many more spider people are there? Hey fellas. This could literally not get any weirder. It can get weirder. Okay. We need to get back to our universes soon. Brooklyn is going to collapse. My family lives in Brooklyn. Whoa, 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 whoa. Miles, what's wrong? This was never your city. It's mine. If I don't destroy the collider, none of us will have a home to go home to. Remember, what makes you different? Let's go! is what makes you Spider-Man. Officer, I love you. <laughs> Wait, what? All right, so, Calvin, uh, before we talk about Spider-Man, let's talk about kind of how we came here, because <laughs> this was not our intention this week. I mean, very quickly, we, were, we watched Play Misty for me last week, and then we kind of moved on to Fatal Attraction somehow as the film of the week, and we realized there weren't a lot of hooks. What happened there was kind of is that I, we both watched Play Misty uh, for me together and we're like, wow, this really sucked. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. But Fatal Attraction is sort of like this and good, I said. And you're like, oh, I've never seen that. I was like, well, <laughs> we should talk about it then. And then we're like, wow, this is kind of underwhelming. It's, like, it's not bad, <laughs> but, you funny know. Funny thing about uh, Fatal Attraction is it was going to have De Palma directing, but he said it sounded too much like Play Misty for me, so he dropped out. Mm-hmm. And that would have been an interesting take. I think the biggest problem we had with that when we were kind of briefly discussing it between us was that there wasn't, a, again, you know, like a, this kind of more authorial voice coming through. There was no style to it. It was just very plain and serviceable, except for a few good performances. It would have been a boring yeah. podcast. We, we kind of figured out that if we were just kind of meh about the film the whole time. And so I just happened to go see Spider-Man yesterday, and I was like, oh, this is lots to talk about. And you're like, we should do a podcast about it. I'm like... Yeah, fuck Fatal Attraction. Let's just do that instead. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. I think Spider-Man has a lot more to offer. Yes, there's a lot, because as well as that, we both went and rewatched the Raimi films before this to kind of get mm -hmm. in mind, because the bigger question, and the kind of that everyone was buzzing about about Into the Spider-Verse is the question, is this the best Spider-Man film? And with, yes. with competition like Raimi stuff, it was like, all right, we need to really assess that, and so that's what we're here to do. Yeah, and I think that we could make a strong argument that it's the most inventive Spider-Man film, whether or not it is the best, aside from that. I think it's the newest Spider-Man film. It's definitely the newest. I'll, I'll agree with that. Not only in the, the literal sense that, yes, it just came out, oh, but, also, <laughs> but also in the fact that it is a very special, different take on Spider-Man. You know, and I really appreciate a lot of that. One of my favorite things when the film kind of opened up, I noticed that it was like, uh, they had the there's having the fight that Miles was watching with Peter and the Green Goblin. 
And it took me a little bit. It was only until when he called him Norman that I realized that giant dragony monster is supposed to be the Green Goblin. Hmm. And that's crazy and awesome, and I love it. They're inventive art style here that they basically created for the film we're so used to being awash with dreamworks and pixar as our two primary examples but uh to go and create something that feels more uh um reduced to the cells of like a comic book story uh and it looks authentic mm. to a comic story i think plays a lot better in theater than watching you know kind of like the smoothed over atrophied dreamworks stuff that we've been getting for the last 10 15 years well one of the things that we've really forgotten with animation is that animation is a completely different style you know it's a completely different art form on its own that can do literally anything and we have contained it to just doing the same kind of you know exaggerated cartoon things that we can do effectively in live action anyway if you really want to especially with cgi nowadays mm -hmm. You know, it's time for animation to really flex its muscles and show that it can do anything, not only from a style point, but from a, a cinematography angle as well. One of the big things that Spider-Verse does, at least for the first half for the majority, is that it does interesting things with the actual framing of things and putting other things in the frame, doing lots of split shots, yeah. doing different kind of collages of things, which you don't see done, really. You well, know, sometimes... you can do that kind of thing. Sometimes the collage will break off into a series of webs and then it will create a moving, each moving frame illustrating a part of the character's uh, personality. And what you get within each character is that they're all animated in a very specific, unique way. Usually in an animation, you have like one overriding style and like Hotel Transylvania, okay, everyone animates this way. But in Spider-Man, everyone animates to their own specific style, like the way... Miles Morales animate shows that he's inexperienced. Well, you know, Parker will have a fluidity, look like he's been doing this for years, and Gwen Stacy will have a grace to her. There's, like, different means of animation within the same product. Mm -hmm. Different uh, types of movement. They, they really imbue the characters with their own personalities through their movements and animation. Something which, again, it's, you know, you can do through various other means of live actions even as well. But it's much more like a, something at the forefront of animation. Like, you have to make the active choice in how this person moves already. You don't just plug them into normal mode or whatever. I think, I think like, the, the idea, the, the whole film's idea is, like, anyone could be behind the mask. I think it's a cool way to spin Spider-Man, to make it more universal. If it's always just been a, you know, teenage white guy's story, then this expands it into being feminist or being about civil rights or being about uh, something bigger than just, you know, boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl, which we have thousands of. This is something new that we don't have yet. Right. Well, that's an interesting thing that, you know, Spider-Man has had to deal with for a little while now. Up until now, we have not gotten a non-Peter Parker Spider-Man right. film. So this is an important accomplishment just in that, uh, you know, uh, the character of Miles Morales kind of came around more recently than, you know, other interpretations of Spider-Man. I remember there was a lot of buzz around when they were supposed to be casting the new Spider-Man movie. I think it was Amazing Spider-Man back in, like, 2012, or potentially even before then. I don't know. I should look this up, really. But, you know, everyone was like, Donald Glover should play Spider-Man. It was probably before that, I remember, because he talked That'd about it great. in his, his comedy special. And it would have been amazing. This was yeah. when I think he was, like, younger, and he totally could have. But everyone's like, you can't have a black Spider-Man. It's not who he is. And it's, yeah. And that's the thing, is that, you know, so when they kind of have this Miles character they bring in, who is a half-black, half-Mexican, you know, 
character who lives in the Bronx, he is his own version of Peter Parker in a way. He's a nerdy kid who lives in New York and is imbued with his incredible power. And he has this responsibility of it. And it's a different angle they take, though, of it, of this still great power comes great responsibility idea. And that, you know, I like the dynamic he has with his father being a police officer, and it creates this different kind of tension between the characters there. I wish there was more of that in Spider-Verse, but obviously the film is stuff with so much Spider-Man stuff that it, it would be hard to focus just on that. It gives it such a breadth of options going through parallel universes because, I mean, you genuinely have as many options as you want to go with in sequelizing this and, and expanding it. So I feel like there's kind of unlimited possibilities and, you know, I don't really want them to kind of um, put a patent on their own art style. I want it to be more public use, but if they do, then I feel like this is its own singular thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we talked about it briefly a little bit last week as well. From what I remember reading, it wasn't the particular art style they were trying to patent, but the, the technology they used to accomplish it. Right. And then, so if you if you do patent the technology, then possibly nobody could create the same style in the same sense. Right. Which would be unfortunate and sand still, but it's not the same thing as, you know, taking away the style as a whole, which is just an insane thing to even <laughs> think that you could do. So, you can't draw like this. That's not allowed. <laughs> yeah, what what do you think of the art style? It's kind of kind of vectored out so it's three D almost backdrops with uh like a lot of two T two D and hand drawn detailing over it. What do you think of it? Mm. There's a lot of interesting things going on with it for sure. When the movie like started right away i wasn't entirely sold on it because it seemed like some of the movement was stilted but yeah. for some reason that went away really quick like i got over it you know things became more fluid as it went wrong so i don't know if i just adjusted to it or if the film like actually got better in its animation i don't know and i think it took me it took me about five minutes to acclimate to it as well so you're not alone there okay that's good to know one of the other interesting things that i don't think is entirely successful with the animation throughout is that they do this focus thing throughout it like there is shots that'll kind of do this weird partial focus thing on some areas and it will change it constantly throughout and it's weird because it looks like it's not rendered properly sometimes but i think it's, it's a stylized choice and it's weird yeah but other than that other than that the animation is beautiful it looks great it's fantastic undeniably so the colors are very vivid and beautiful to watch yeah, I think um, it kind of has like a neon underglow to everything, and it kind of amplifies New York into a larger characterization of itself in a way that mm-hmm. the previous films, you know, it's just standard New York, but this is Spider-Man New York. Right, and I think one of the other things they really capture well is the movement of Spider-Man. Um, that's such an interesting thing, I think, that not, not a lot of people talk about, is that the way Spider-Man moves when he's, you know, swinging across the city is very special very unique and that was something that upon rewatching the Raimi films I really appreciated watching and seeing that he has those correct poses and it's all natural and the CG still holds up really well in that sense and the same goes for Into the Spider-Verse is that they really nailed that well and you can see it in a variety of ways with the different spider people swinging around the city like when when Miles is swinging he'll kind of swing wildly out of control you never consider that if you had these Spider-Man powers you can just like throw a thing up and and be perfectly balanced he 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 fumbles around and you know it looks like he's really struggling to get a sense of it but he develops into Mm -hmm. like you know he has his awkward persona throughout the film yeah there's a quick moment uh i remember when he's first learning to use the the web slinger and the older peter tells him you know it's like a double tap to release it and you know 
into and to shoot again. And I think that's just a very small, interesting detail that I like that we're like, oh, we learn a little bit more about how the web slinger actually mm. works. You know, it's an important facet that we don't necessarily get in any of the other iterations of Spider-Man. It's just that, you know, we kind of see the mechanism and we're left to figure out how it works for ourselves. So just that, that small detail is a nice touch that I liked having. I think the way that they frame the animation, that they slow down the frame rate enough so that every move is a large suggestion. Um, they made it so every move is a kind of posture and is framed into its own, you know, it's a unique expression in itself. So they allow like, uh, well, what's his name? Uh, Peter Porker to have like the most like traditional animation that everyone else kind of has unique uh, stylized animation. Mm -hmm. One of my favorites was, I love the, the pop art styling of Spider-Man Noir. Out yeah. of all the, the new Spider-Mans they introduced, oh, he, he had such a little bit, but I like Spider-Man Noir a lot. Yeah, I, you think, know, I think I'd watch a whole film of Spider-Man Noir. Totally. I think Nick Cage, um, you know, his voice was a little odd to me, but he had the styling. He did the, the very Bogart-esque kind of talking very well. And I think if he was given, you know, kind of a bit more focus and direction and time to kind of, you know, uh, fully immerse into this character, he could totally own a part like that. I would watch a whole series of him shooting up, you know, gangsters, you know, yeah. like that. That, yeah, that would be like, great. I feel like they could have played heavily into Spider-Man Noir, but he's such a small part of the film. I wonder if we'll get, uh, as the years kind of go on, those more kind of weird, irreverent, uh, you know, Marvel takes on things. There's so many different iterations of characters and, you know, in such a weird way, sometimes one-off issues of things. And I would love to just see the weird interpretations in, you know, very, you know, kind of contained stories as well. Stuff like that. I think this shows us that promise, too, that it doesn't have to all be mainline stuff. That you could have the takeoffs that are, you know, sometimes cooler than the main thing. Yeah, or at least they're, they're very fun to indulge in, you know. You still need that base work of understanding who Spider-Man is or any of these other characters before you kind of twist and change their molecules around. But then you can have these kind of fun, different takes. You know, you can combine the best of multiple worlds into these weird amalgamations. And I would love to see more of those kind of creative things. That was nice about seeing these things, even if some of them didn't exactly work. Like, I was watching Amazing Spider-Man last night, and it's the complete opposite, where it plays into all the same traits as Raimi's. And we've all seen Raimi's movies. We don't need to see... a kind of lesser take without the style or the uh, technique that's there. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that I definitely noticed of Raimi's films this, this last time. I didn't get around to the third one this last time because <laughs> I don't really want to, but yeah. that's okay. Uh, I've seen it enough times. But definitely within the first two as well is that Raimi's style is still extremely present. You can tell it throughout. You can tell it's a Raimi movie all the way through. And, you know... And you get the sense that he really understands Spider-Man as well. Yeah. That's a crucial aspect of it. I mean, until the third one, and then you get the sense he never understood at all. It's not, I, I wouldn't, with the third one, it's not that I would say that he didn't understand. I would say the studio stuck their hands way too far into his project, and they messed everything up. Because there are, there's glimmers of, of genius in Spider-Man 3. The whole Sandman storyline is really well-conceived, and if that had been the focus of the film... It would have been another great one. Maybe not Spider-Man 2 great, but it would have been another great Spider-Man film. But instead, Sony had to shove all of the Venom crap in there oh, yeah. and force this arc that did not belong. And it it was just so bad. That scene where Peter goes dancing is probably the worst thing in any uh, 
superhero film that I've seen. It's just it's it's such a weird thing, and it was actually kind of funny seeing them reference it in the very beginning of Into the Spider Verse yeah, as well, right. which made me kind of sad because that uh, uh, that they didn't like put Tobey Maguire in. Like I know originally they didn't want to confuse people, but the fact that there ended up being two Peter Parkers in the film, I'm like that first Spider Man to- could have totally been Tobey Maguire, especially since that opening intro where he introduces himself. Like yeah. hits the same beats of the Spider-Man films. They they take the train sequence. They've got that shot. That's exactly in there. They've got the upside down kiss. That's the same thing. So that should have totally been Tobey Maguire. My heart would have fluttered. I do have a thing where I don't think Tobey Maguire is a good actor, and I don't think he's been around for a long time. He has been around for a long time. I mean, he hasn't been doing very much in since Spider-Man Three. He hasn't had yeah. like a, a single notable film. So. Not like a whole lot there, but during you know he had a good stint of time where he was. A good actor. I, of course, love him, you know, in Spider-Man. I think he's great in... Have you seen Pleasantville? Pleasantville, yeah. he's really great in... It's, it's alright. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think he's that interesting. I think he has an interesting face that expresses differently than most actors, but I don't I don't really like him as an actor. I don't like Dunst either, so that kind of sets those two aback. The first mm-hmm. two Spider-Man aback for me. I, I mean, I can get that. I can get how they're not particularly... Uh, you know they're not star worthy material in their own right, but I think they are they're really great fits for the parts in the Spider-Man films. They do a great job. And I think a lot of that also has to do with the the script and Raimi's understanding of the character. You know, in Raimi's films, I always get the understanding that he knows the importance of Spider-Man as a symbol, as a meaning. You know, and the relationship he has with you know the power and responsibility that comes through stronger in Raimi's films than any others. There was a moment, though, in Into the Spider-Verse where I did feel that rainy levels of understanding of Spider-Man. Yeah, it gets... Because when they, ha- when they have... Uh, the, the biggest moment for me, the high point of the film, was when they had, early on, the death of Spider-Man. In the funeral scene, and in that whole moment where the city was mourning over the loss of Spider-Man and the discovery of who, you know, this guy really was. Like, I really felt like some of those... That, that was, like, in the same level of some of the greatest moments of the Raimi films. Yeah, it feels like one of the endings to one of the Raimi films where um, there's there's a clear understanding of who Spider-Man is and what he means to the city, and it's a lot about connection and what it is to be a hero, and I feel like that's what Spider-Man 2 captures better than any hero movie. Like, I, I appreciate yeah. Raimi for it, despite not liking its two lead actors. Yeah, and that's the thing, is that the, the train sequence, the end of the train sequence in Spider-Man 2 is probably the greatest scene of any superhero film because it more than any other encapsulates the the meaning of what a hero is to people. Yeah. And and how important they are as a figure. And you know I think... you get that sense in a little bit like say with the uh, the Dark Knight, they have the, the speech at the end of it of being a, a symbol and him taking the fall for Harvey instead, but it's not the same level of like you know, awestruck realization of how... The cool thing about that scene is that it allows other people mm-hmm. to um, to show the way that they've been influenced by the hero, to become the hero themselves. And that's what, you know, that's what being a hero is all about, is to show other people the Inspiring best Inspiring others. Yeah. yeah. And you see all the people on the train stepping up to become, you know, to protect Spider-Man, to back him up. That's, you know, that's what it's about. Yep, and you've got a similar scene like that in Spider-Man 1, where everyone's, like, you know, uh, throwing shit at the Goblin, you know, to keep right. him, uh, you know, try the, you know, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us kind of mentality. And they've got that, and that's a really great scene in 1, but it's even increased tenfold in 2. And I think in Spider-Verse, when you have that with the funeral, you get that same feeling in that scene. Yeah. You know, I, 
I definitely felt that same highs when I was watching that. And that's kind of the whole theme of Into the Spider-Verse in general, is that anyone can be Spider-Man, or at least, you know, has the capability to be a hero like Spider-Man right. is. I feel like it's that train sequence stretched out into an entire film, like where anyone, it's enabling anyone to act on the power and responsibility to become someone's hero. I think that's mm. important to have. And th those kind of details throughout, you know, seeing Peter's impacts on the world is, you know, an interesting aspect. And again, more of that kind of superhero lore that you don't get to see as much. You know, these people have global impact, or at least they should, you mm. know, with the way that they change the world. But we don't really get that sense a lot of times, especially in the Marvel films. You know, that's one thing that they definitely don't capitalize on enough. Like, you get very small hints ever of changing things. But, I mean, consider, like, the actual implications of things. There are the existence of aliens now. Like, <laughs> yeah. world-destroying aliens in those films. Right. And you don't get the, the sense that anything has changed from our normal lives. No, and I feel like in Spider-Verse, it also has an element where you could become a hero, and it really fucking sucks to be a hero. Like, Peter Parker is real real down on his luck in this one and like not only is it not the peter parker film it's the only one where you know he's cast in a really grim light that it, it things haven't worked out yeah so i know that was one thing you told me about a little bit before going to the film is that that was an interesting highlight is seeing this kind of grizzled older peter parker what do you think and i yeah i agree that he even more than miles character for me was kind of this emotional high point you know as far as for character development you know, I thought a lot about um, seeing him. I thought about, about uh, Luke's character in The Last Jedi. And that they take this beloved character who is this high point of, you know, uh, inspiration for people around the world. And they turn him into a bitter cynic mm -hmm. as a reflection on, you know, how, uh, how much of a toll this kind of responsibility is on someone. And that's great to me. Even if I didn't like everything in The Last Jedi... I like that aspect, and I want to see more of it, and I'm glad I had that same feelings watching Peter here, how he's just an embittered and, you know, frustrated person, and he's just tired of being Spider-Man, yeah, you know. I, I mean, you, you don't think about it when you're watching the hero films. Like, it feels like it's a singular moment in a never-ending set of adventures, but eventually, you know, eventually that's going to have an effect on someone that feels and emotes and and is affected yeah. by things. And I feel like this is the most real in that sense. You get a little bit, you get that somewhat in Spider-Man 2 as well, yeah, because absolutely. you have the whole um, Spider-Man No More bit where they, you know, specifically address that in the comics where he gives up being Spider-Man until he's inspired to do it again. But Peter's not bitter about it. He's just upset that he has been, you know, hated, you know, and he's like, I'm done. I can't handle this with everything else I have going on in my life. But here in Spider-Verse, Peter is actually bitter and angry about how he's been treated he's abandoned by everyone he loves you know he's just not as capable as he was before and he just doesn't want to be spider-man in any way like he, he actively disdains it you know yeah and i i do think that spider-man 2 and this one have the best perspective on that that it is about an identity story about what it is to be a hero um mm -hmm. I think sometimes the only reason why I would put the first Spider-Man potentially over into the Spider-Verse here is that sometimes that theme gets lost in a lot of the the visual spectacle and, you know, the other elements kind of 
crashing into the film here. Hmm. That sometimes it just gets a little lost under it, but it's never gone. You know, I can always find it again. Yeah, I feel like there is a pathos that goes through it. There's only a couple things I dislike about it. I don't like the anime girl. Oh, yeah, and I don't... As much as I wanted to, like, I don't like Peter Porker either. I don't either. I love it. <laughs> I love the casting. I mean, because God, I was like, when I heard about that and I saw him in the trailers, I was like, John Mulaney, this, you know, comedic, hilarious guy as Peter Porter, that's hilarious. I want to see that. I really don't like his character and how it fits into the style of the film either. And that's the problem. That's the biggest problem with Spider-Verse is that there's a lot of comedic elements that do not mesh with the tone of everything going on. My biggest issue walking out of the theater is that every time there was an emotional high point or the tension was really turned up, they would undercut it with a joke that just didn't fit, and it was it was frustrating. I was getting upset. <laughs> I like the playfulness of it generally, but I don't think that right, yeah. I don't think Peter Porker or Anime Girl makes sense in the style of the uh, more cel shaded world that they have here. I don't think they fit well. I don't like their characters at all. I like John well, Mulvaney. It's a shame. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, I was sad about that. Because I wanted it to work, and I, yeah. again, I liked the, I liked how funny the film was. Otherwise, and they have the comic sense that Spider-Man should. It's just that some of it was very ill-timed. All of the goodbyes where they were hopping out, you know, and leaving were weird. Even yeah. Spider-Man Noir, instead of having like a, a heartfelt moment of inspiration, he could have given in this you know emotional scene to to pass on advice to Miles. Instead, he talks about a Rubik's cube, <laughs> which I thought was funny because it's you know. It's, it, a, it's objectively funny, but it's tonally entirely in the wrong place, you know? Yeah. Like, he had a bit with the Rubik's Cube earlier as well, and that was funny, and that was fine where it was. But, you know, you can't put those things in the wrong context. You know, you've got to let these emotional beats happen for it to be fulfilling, you know? That's why the relationship with Miles and Peter worked out so well, was because they actually allowed it to have that emotional resonance. I and love they didn't the always cut it with a joke. I love the idea of pairing him with a Rubik's Cube, that this multi-dimensional kind of toy with color is, like, brought back into his, you know, grim world of, like, 2D, black and white, you know, hard noir. That's so funny to me. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, he, and again, he worked. I like Spider-Man noir. He worked because they, they played him seriously. The, the anime girl was just kind of an odd thing. I get, I like, I like having such a a different kind of Spider-Man character in there and giving more of a female thing as well, but it just, there was no character to it. (laughs) I also kind of felt like, fuck off, this is kind of pandering shit. (laughs) Get out of here. Mm. It was was just weird because, and that was the problem they had with bringing in all three of them, is that they didn't have characters, so to speak, of to contribute to the film. They were gags, you know. I think it's fine. I think that it sets it up so there's, like a Gwen Stacy kind of uh, universe next, and then we could have some characters transfer into that. But I'm excited to see who they bring in after this, because there were other ones that they could have brought in, right? I don't know a ton about Spider-Man. You probably know more. Yeah, no, there's all sorts of characters. Uh, Spider-Man has been one of my favorite, if not my favorite, you know, character of all time, uh, you know, as far as heroes go. He has an eclectic array of um, various villains to pull from which is why sony has held on to this property for so long because there's just well, so many good ones you can utilize basically you know it's him and batman have the best you know ones uh, like real yeah. gallery there yeah absolutely no question about it you know 
I'm still waiting for, you know, we could have a Black Cat film. We still haven't seen Carnage really done right. Craven the Hunter is one that I'm always a big fan of and I want to see. We're getting Mysterio later this year, which I'm super excited about. We're also getting uh, Carnage in the next uh, Venom movie, so that should be interesting. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the, the biggest thing from 2018 that we can definitely say is that people still love Spider-Man. Oh. People want to see Spider-Man <laughs> stuff, and Sony surprisingly made the right move. Um, you know, I'm I'm glad that yeah. they gave Spider-Man that, that time in the MCU, and he's still going to be there. But I guess it is also nice to see that they do, in fact, know what they're doing after they fucked up so many times before. Yeah, which they did there's... <laughs> last year was interesting. We got the uh, Venom, we got the new video game, which is incredible, from Insomniac, where, you know, it goes right back to the Spider-Man 2 game, where you're able to swing around the city, and it prioritizes that, and it has all the suits of all the good Spider-Men. And it is more of a... It's a better exploration. I think it, that game is one of the better Spider-Man movies. I mean, I think <laughs> you should play that in addition to watching this. I, I think it's an incredible compliment to this. Mm-hmm. Well, what it shows as well is that... And I think it's such an interesting thing about Spider-Man in particular is that he's such an influential and resonant character with audiences. And it's not, you know... Uh, reflective of his powers necessarily you know his powers don't reflect something about us like the the biggest comic book characters you could say that have any kind of cultural influence are definitely spider-man batman and superman Mm -hmm. those are the biggest ones and spider-man is obviously the biggest one from marvel and i think of all of them he thematically resonates most with all of us more than batman's you know kind of sorrowful need for vengeance more than superman's optimistic do-gooder mentality like i think spider-man reflects a reality in all of us instead of one particular side of a coin i feel like i'm more of a batman fan but that is uh, those are the comics i knew so i would be and those are the movies i like mm-hmm. i think what's uh, kind of special is just how relevant he still is to us as a character you know spider-man obviously still works and can work in different interpretations and that's what spider-verse proves as well is that there's a demand and a desire to see spider-man in different ways that idea that anyone can be spider-man is true you know it's real it works and we're gonna see more of it i'm excited (laughs) for that and we're only going to see more of it in a few months right when's when's return to home coming out far from i think it's later on this year because we gotta get through the rest of avengers stuff oh shit (laughs) and then we'll see that (laughs) yeah we got captain marvel avengers and far from home coming up so we might have a couple spider-man opportunities yeah i'm excited to see far from home still because mysterio was always one of my favorite villains and jake gyllenhaal is a good actor so that'll be interesting yeah but i'm also very interested to see the different interpreters i'd love to see actually i guess that's a good thing we can talk about here is we got to see some more villains that we don't yeah. typically get to see. Some of them, some of which we've seen, like we've seen Green Goblin before. But like I said in the beginning here, is that this is a very different interpretation of Green Goblin, which is really cool. We should talk about how some of them um, come up. What were you saying about Kingpin? Kingpin, Kingpin's here. He's the central villain, and I love how he's designed because he makes no sense. <laughs> and Kingpin's very funny. He's just like a two-dimensional block, and they didn't even like shade in his body. That he's just like a form like a mask right like his his head is actually like instead of it being like above his body it's like in he's like this giant like square and it's great it's a he doesn't have a neck his whole body is a neck effectively 
Mm-hmm. It's a very cartoony design, very deserving of Kingpin. And, you know, Kingpin's one of those villains who's as much belonging to Spider-Man as he is, like, Daredevil, who we saw. The great take on the TV series with Vincent D'Onofrio. But, you know, this is really great, too. It's a, I don't know if you caught this. Is Lee Schreiber is voicing uh, Kingpin here. I didn't realize that until after I checked, but, you know, he does a great job. I love Lee Schreiber. He has a hell of a cast. Oh, yeah, there's, like, all sorts of, like, uh, very important, you know, good voices here spread out in between, which I think is why, kind of, why I wanted Toby to be in here, but... Yeah. But, yeah, there's lots of other really great villains, too. Uh, the Doc Ock reveal was surprising to me. I was not expecting yeah. that, and so that was a nice surprise. And, again, another example of how we're not limited by who can be who, just based on who they were originally. Same kind of thing with Spider-Man, you know. Just because Spider-Man was a, a white, you know, young boy doesn't mean that he has to always be that way, and same with his villains. Oh my god! And what about his um, his uncle Aaron? That's a that's a interesting relationship. Yeah, that was an interesting take. Uh, that one, unfortunately, I did see coming. Like, cause they they kind of yeah. did not make that a surprise twist when that came around. But mm-hmm. the relationship they yeah. have with them very interesting, and I liked that. Uh, I'm not sure if this is actually the case with Miles Morales in the comics, but they have that very same familiar. Peter Parker trend, it's, you know, he has an important, you know, the death of his uncle that he's very close to, plays an important role in forming his character as Spider-Man, so that's an interesting kind of parallel with Peter Parker, I think it was interesting to take with him. And the character's played by Mahershala Ali, who's in Green Book and just won a Golden Globe, I think he's going to be a huge star despite the controversy around Green Book, none of that is his problem. Well, it's not like he hasn't had a great career before that. He just won an yeah. Oscar, you know, and he yeah. was great as a villain in Luke Cage as well. More Marvel stuff. He's phenomenal, so... Yeah, so that was nice to, to hear him as well. And his relationship with Miles in the film was really great, those, those early moments, but it was unfortunate how obviously broadcast that twist was. You know. What's his uh, villain's name? I'm, I'm spacing uh, out. The uh, Prowler, they called him. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize that's what the character was originally when we first saw him fighting in the beginning, but they did call him that later on, so I was like, oh, okay, so I figured it out. He has a cool aesthetic in the movie. I think he works very well into what the uh, style is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the costume design is very kind of reminiscent of a reflection of Spider-Man as well, You know, so you got that kind of parallel going with it. Lots of interesting villain takes, I think, here. And there's even more windows for more of them. You know, I mentioned, again, Spider-Man has a great cast of villains to pull pull from. And I I like the uh, Miles' connection to his father also. There's a few funny moments where, you know, he's like, I love you, Dad. Come on. Come on, say yeah, it. Yeah, that was a and, funny thing. And their relationship, the conversation he has with him between through the door is a very heartfelt moment. Uh, yeah. One that was fortunately not cut out by a joke. You know, like they, they let that one play straight, which is very nice to see. And I think that relationship with his father being a police officer who kind of, you know, is resentful towards Spider-Man in some ways is a -hmm. nice one. If they do do more of these Miles stories, I hope to see more of that relationship because that was one thing I wanted more from this film. That that ending conversation with them was like where he's putting on the the tough black guy voice to talk to his father. You know, that was a a funny moment of this, you know, relationship that he's having with Spider-Man and himself. I love you, yeah. Dad. <laughs> yeah, I love you, Dad. <laughs> That's, it's all pretty good stuff. And I feel like the, the film does allow a couple moments to linger, but if I have any main criticism about storytelling, it's that it's so rushed from point to point that it doesn't allow itself a confidence to to have a moment that you that you could really feel and soak in. Mm-hmm. I think it's what's interesting is that 
I found this to be both a good and bad idea for a starting Spider-Man story. What's great yeah. about it is that by exploding into this universe of infinite possibilities, infinite Spider-Men, you have so many avenues to go down, and you immediately establish that you can do anything, you know, anything's up for grabs. But the issue is that it's so much that you you lose a little bit of the contained important story. Not enough that it's, like, gone. It's still definitely there. The Miles story is great and well thought through all the way, but it doesn't have that same uh, grounded emotional sense that the, the Raimi films were so great at. That's what was really great about the first Spider-Man, and the second one especially, is that they had this emotional through line that was clear the whole way through. The character arc that, you know, Peter goes through is the, the meat of the story. Yeah, this one feels a little bit more like it's like an energy drink guzzling kind of like a explosion of color or something. It's Yeah, sometimes the visual styling is a, is a disservice to it because it's so overstimulating in some ways. That was one of my biggest issues with the, the final fight. As, as cool as it was to see all this crazy shit happening, I had n almost no idea what was going on. I had no bearings on where everything was. There's a button they're supposed to be getting to, and at no point during the fight w did I know where the button was at. Did I know how close or far away they were from achieving their goal? Yeah, I think that I think it does have trouble sometimes spelling context into the environment because of the new style and because nobody's ever done it before. They had to kind of create ways to layer onto hand drawn. Um, hand-drawn drawings on what was becoming a 3D environment. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you don't have a big context of where things are going to go. Yeah, but, you know, for all of the, the issues we might have with it, you know, it's still a great accomplishment in all fields here, the fact that they can tell such an out-there story with so many elements and a visually splendorous, you know, environment, and it still be a cohesive and good Spider-Man story. That's really great. Um, I think... I think the big thing I could say about it is it's better than this year's Pixar superhero movie. So mm -hmm. I think that is itself a big accomplishment. I think it's artistically more interesting yeah. than whatever Pixar did this year. I, I definitely agree that um, for all the buzz, like whatever else is getting, this should really get the award for best animated film at the, the Oscars when they come around. Because, God forbid, it's Wreck-It Ralph, or what else would there be? You would hope it's either, like, Isle of Dogs or this. Cause... Yeah, it would have to be. It's it's a shame that Wes didn't get it with Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, yeah. whenever that was. That was, I thought, more deserving that year. So, but maybe this is, like, the Redemption Award. I think he could get it for that. But... It's It's got to be this or Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs is great as well. Um, you know, I don't know which one I like more, actually, thinking about it. It's kind of tough. Because I have problems yeah. with Battle of Dogs too, but I I do love the things about it. It's even more beautiful, I think, than Spider Verse is personally. Yeah, I think uh, I think Isle of Dogs also has a special style that connected more with me. That I would probably call it the animation of the year. But mm -hmm. this is also my favorite Spider Man. So mm -hmm. It's hard to say. I yeah, I'm not sure. I don't see it as my favorite because. Spider-Man 2 is just such a strong film overall, not even just a Spider-Man film, but yeah. th thematically everything about it, it's it's uh, it's it's such an amazing you know accomplishment. I think, especially in the terms well, of what the limitations we see in superhero films nowadays, it's refreshing to see something as you know transcendent as Raimi's Spider-Man. Once they go and make a second one of these, who knows how I'll feel about it? I have them both ranked uh, exactly the same. They're both nine out of tens for me. So. Mm -hmm. I love both films, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing, is that any 
issues I have with uh, Spider-Verse, you know, does not make it bad by any means. I mean, look, I've been hearing, singing here singing its praises the whole time we've been talking, even though I have issues. Again, the comic sense of it, you know, the improper timing of some things really drove me down at some points, and some of the other distracting or bloated elements of it. It's a 7 for me, but a yeah. strong 7, and I, I can't really decide between it and Raimi's first Spider-Man in terms of that second place. I could go on either way of them. Yeah, it's interesting, and it, it has allusions to the past, too. It doesn't feel like it's entirely self-secluded. Uh, no, it's, it's like definitely it... built on the foundations of the Spider-Man films before it, particularly the Raimi ones. I don't know if they made any jabs at Homecoming or the MCU Spider-Man. I don't know if they were able to. <laughs> Did you stay after the yeah, credits, but... by the way? Uh, no. Oh, okay, so that was hilarious. There was this bit like they were building up this newer, like, different dimension Spider-Man, and he comes and he and he goes through this portal to uh, like the '60s comic Spider-Man, and then there's the style it's in. And you know that meme with the Spider-Man pointing at the other Spider-Man? What? <laughs> yeah, they they do that for a bit. They're like, "What are you doing, pointing at me?" He's like, "You started pointing at me. No, you were pointing for." They're, they're going back and forth like that. Point. It's hilarious. And, That's good. Uh, it's so great. And again, it's another one of those kind of self-aware stylings that like they did in the beginning. It's just a really funny joke. That you know, I, I wish you stuck around for because it's it's gold. <laughs> there is a there is an effect at the end too when it goes to um, what is it dedicated to Stanley or whatever? Mm-hmm. That's that's a cool moment. Right, that was nice. I got that. That was one actually I did miss because I had to get up and use the bathroom. I, I didn't get up. <laughs> I didn't get up during the movie because I didn't want to miss anything. But as soon as the credits rolled, I bolted out of my seat. I didn't make it back quite in time. Like I, I think I caught just the very end of that dedication. But his cameo <laughs> in the film was really great really yeah. heartfelt and you know the idea of you know he, he he's essentially i mean if you think about it in a thematic sense that's when he's giving miles the costume stan lee is bestowing the role of spider-man onto a new generation in his yeah, in it, his final you know voice role like this and if it if it were a final role i think it would have been like the perfect note but he's still in two more films i wish this were his final because if those were like the last words of stan lee on on film i'd be okay with it mm-hmm I think that would certainly be appropriate. Hopefully, Marvel has something, you know, appropriately kind of cooked up, you know. But I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I just got a feeling that they won't. Yeah, but I think uh, that about wraps up my thoughts on Spider-Man there. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it did not quite live up to the hype that everyone kind of been selling it as. You know how yeah. highly this is? I, I don't trust IMDb anymore. This is the like the 26th highest rated film on IMDb right now. Like of? All like time. Of like of all films. time. For some reason, I don't know. Of, oh, so of of twenty eighteen, you mean? No, like a, like on their top two fifty list. You know that? Like if you look it up, that's how highly it's rated. It's on number twenty six. Let me see if I can pull up like what they have it above. Not not that IMDb ratings mean anything. You know, it's kind of. So you mean like this decade? No, no, no. I mean like it's uh, it's of all time. <laughs> it's I. I... I don't know. I don't know why. This happens, like, with every new release. Everyone raves about it. They throw, throw a 10 on it, even if it's not entirely deserving of that. And then slowly, once, like, rational people start rating the film, then it kind of comes down to its proper rating. <laughs> well, immediately with hero films, especially, you especially, get a fan base. Yeah. I, I think um, Infinity War came in at, like, the top 10 and has been slowly kind of <laughs> jumping down. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Don't die. Don't die. It's... <laughs> that killed me. But, yeah. uh, uh, it, 
Yeah, I don't think in I don't think MDiv's very much to go off of. But then when you go like look at Rotten Tomato or whatever, it's also elevated there. So it's like, um, what are you going to do? It is very popular, and I love it. I see why it's well criticized. Yeah, and again, it's it's deserving of the praise it has, just maybe not at the level of intensity that it is received. You know, everything that people say is great about it is great. It's it's just that it's not all that. There there is more to it. It kind of holds it back in some ways. So I'm pulling it up now. Rotten Tomato will be 97, which, you know, I understand. But Yeah, well, and Rotten Tomatoes is no ranking by any means either. You know, if people think it's a 97, yeah, sure. I don't I don't think so. You think it's a 9 out of 10, so I guess it's close enough. I mean, you'd rate it as a 7, but I think it's such a novel thing. And I know that, I know Raimi's stuff is really cool, but uh, it's also not new. Like, it, whatever you feel about Spider-Man 2, it is a sequel. Mm-hmm. Well, there was something special. I think, I think when you think about Raimi's films, you got to think about how they were in the context of that time period as well. You know, they really innovated and defined what a superhero film was to be. Before then, before Raimi's Spider-Man, the only really good one you had was X-Men, which had come out like just a, a couple years prior. And even then, it doesn't really hold up as well as Raimi's no. films do. They're they're definitive in figuring out the structure of films, the whole origin story. You know, kind of superhero film that starts with Raimi so yeah they don't yeah. seem new now but you have to consider that everything else is you know kind of copying Raimi's formula there yeah back then they were the perfect iteration on where hero films were going like we have these we have these bullet points like you know Raimi's film is one of them among the Dark Knight and the Iron Man it's it's not often credited but uh, Spider-Man 2 deserves that same status as changing everything. Yeah, and it certainly, and the biggest thing is that it definitely holds up to, you know, some of the other origin films or other superhero films we're getting nowadays. Those two Raimi films would still <laughs> rank above most Marvel films that have come out in terms of superhero. Like, you know, the only ones that really stand out in my mind are some of the bigger ones like the Avengers uh, and... Yeah, Ragnarok. I really like Ragnarok, but Ragnarok was more of a fun, contained adventure thing than it was a good superhero film. You know. Yeah, it's it's probably Logan for me would be the, oh, the yeah. only one that's really connected. It's it's a brilliant western on its own right, and barely a. It's a, it's a brilliant, film, but... you know, kind of finality story for that kind of character. And if you took out the superhero elements, it would still be a deeply compelling and emotional film. You know, and. Mm-hmm. That, that's almost why so I, didn't I guess it. what's <laughs> most exciting to me though is that other than Batman Mask of Phantasm, I don't have a hero film that's animated that I really love. So this is only the second one. Yeah. So like in my mind, this inspires a uh, a whole new possibility where hand drawn comics actually get a flourish like within the form that they were given. So I feel like there's a huge potential here to do something new and to between Incredibles and this, hopefully we get a wave of new animated hero films in the next three, four years. That would be fantastic. Let's go back to the, the high point of like the, the 90s and 2000s animated TV shows where we had superheroes up for everything, bringing back those X-Men, you know, or any other interpretation. Let's see some of that. You know, we're all kind of uh, starting to shy away from the live-action superhero films, and I think this could really... Uh, keep that fire going in its own way for the superhero trend if we do something yeah. innovative and different and spider-man's a good example of what we can accomplish i think i think marvel like hit on to a gold mine the way that they did it but you've already done it 20 times what are you going to do yeah. you know there's... they've had a great 10-year run and <laughs> yeah you know endgame will tell us where things are to go from there but from my perspective 
I don't see myself being very invested. I'll go see all the way up to the new Spider-Man movie, but that'll be it. Yeah. Until I think unless that's where they can blow are. me away. We need like a we need like an end game credit sequence that creates like Captain Marvel as an important thing or we need Captain Marvel to really, you know, stir some <laughs> shit up because otherwise Marvel's dead long live Spider-Man. I well, think we're about yeah. good. Well, the only other thing I can imagine is that since they're getting their hands on the Fox properties, if Marvel can do something with integrating the X-Men and Fantastic Four, that could be the you know the kind of fuel that re you know stokes the fire, so to speak. Yeah. But Spider-Man alien crossovers. Would <laughs> that would actually I'd be really interested in seeing that, seeing Spider-Man fight a xenomorph. Let's do some oh, shit yeah. like that. Is that not what you meant by into the like bringing aliens into different universes? And oh man, I'm into it. Yeah. That would be so cool. Let's do that. Just every... Okay, Disney, from every movie now, you just put the Xenomorphs in there. Find a way to do it. I want to see that. Have my money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. All right. We've gotten off track, though. That's I mean, We're not talking about Spider-Man anymore. Spider-Man's great. Definitely, if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. It was one of the more deserving superhero films the last couple of years. And this will probably be like the conclusion of our coverage, unless we get something for you know on demand. So yeah. uh, I'm glad we have something on it. Yeah, absolutely. And so until I manage to leave the house next time, uh, I'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe when Glass comes out, we'll see what we could get you to go see. Maybe. That does more superhero stuff. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We like variety here. Yes. All right, Calvin, talk to you later. All right, take care.